And if California falls into the ocean, as the mystics and statistics say it will, I predict this bar will still be standing until I paid my bill. Just when I guessed you could not sink any lower, you're listening to the Rish Outcast. Well, you've kind of made your bed, haven't you? You can go and be what you want to be. It'll be all right if we disagree. I'm the one who cares and I hope you see. I'm the one who loves you because of me. Let's let bygones be forgotten. Reconsider me, reconsider me, and I'll never make you sad again, because I swear that I've changed since then, and I'll never make you sorry if you try, and I'll never make you sad again, because I swear. Hey folks, this is Rich Outfield, and this is an episode that I meant to record last year, I think. Or maybe it was just the very beginning of the summer this year, and I just kept putting it off. Now it's the end of, it's, it's fall, it's almost winter. I won't be able to go to the family cabin much more. And I've just procrastinated putting out this episode because I I keep feeling like, well, what can I possibly contribute? What can I say? I wanted to do an episode where I talked about Warren Zevon, who was a rock and roll singer-songwriter. I almost said a rock star, but I, I don't know. I have no idea how successful the man was uh, in the 1970s when he was popular. It's possible that he was one of those greats that fell on harder times and later generations didn't appreciate him, didn't know who he was. But I keep thinking I need to do an episode about it. And so I'm going to do my best. And you know what? That's sometimes all you can do. So... A few years back, I lived in Los Angeles and I worked for a video store called Laser Blazer and it was on Olympic, Pacific, Pico, it was just right down the block from not down the block, but less than a mile, I'd say, away from 20th Century Fox Studios. And I lived fairly close to Fox, and that was great whenever I worked over at the studio. I did have a job on the lot working for the FX network, and then I blew that. And then later when I was doing extra work, 
I was always pleased whenever I had a gig at Fox because it was just right there. It meant I wouldn't be stuck in traffic. What it basically meant is I didn't have to get up so early. I've never been a morning person. And when I would get a gig and it would be in Burbank or Universal City or something like that, I'd be like, oh, shoot, because the traffic in L.A. was monstrous. It was abominable, abominable. It was it was a Yeti, frankly, and it's renowned. It's it's infamous everywhere because it's just so bad and they don't do anything about it. But because I lived in that neighborhood, I discovered this video store and I really, really liked it. It was called Laser Blazer because it was opened in the 90s as a specialty laser disc outlet, you know, a place where you could get laser discs. And there was one down in Burbank called Dave's. It's a long time now. I think it was called Dave's Video. And it was the only competitor, really. There were these two Laserdisc emporiums, whatever you want to call them. I was never into Laserdiscs. It's just, it was a rich person's pastime. But when DVD became popular at the very end of the 90s, I got a DVD player for Christmas 1998. And uh, once that happened, the movies were affordable, and yet they were as chock full of cinephile material as the Laserdiscs had been. It, it was a boom for home video. Uh, it was an exciting time to live. And whenever a new title, a catalog title, was announced for DVD, the film fans like me would flock to places like this or to Circuit City or to Best Buy. I had never seen a Best Buy before I went to Los Angeles. Uh, and now they're everywhere. And Laser Blazer was just this it was quaint, it was cool, it was a place that was made for film fans. And they still sold laser discs, but that section just got smaller and smaller. And by the time I discovered them, it was mostly DVD. But I liked going there because you could rent all sorts of DVDs. It wasn't expensive and it was nearby. And when I lost my job at the FX network, that was the first place I went, I think, was to Laser Blazer in, hope, in hopes of a job. I was doing extra work in those days, and uh, they hired me quite quickly uh, because the guy, Mike, that hired me was a, a film fan, and he liked to get to know these prospective employees, and he'd ask them their favorite movies, and he'd ask them a couple of trivia questions. I really liked Mike, despite eventually getting fired by Mike later on, and then going out with a group of friends that had all worked at Laser Blazer, uh, and Mike was there, and the uncomfortableness of hanging out with the guy who had fired me, that was weird. Anyway, this is a long story. I mean, I, I could tell you stories about working at Laser Blazer. One of the things that was so neat was that it was right there by Fox, so people that were working at that studio would come there to buy videos or to, to rent them. Not, you know, they, they did a lot more selling than rental because DVDs were just so affordable compared to Laserdiscs or compared to VHSs before the sell-through days. So you would get celebrity 
customers from time to time. And I was told when I was first hired, you know, so-and-so sometimes comes here. You'll sometimes see so-and-so. I was never told don't approach him. I was never told don't ask for their autograph. I think I was told just be professional around somebody. If you're a fan, let them know you're a fan, but don't be, don't make them uncomfortable. Don't be creepy about it, I guess. And it was interesting. I have always been a bit of a star effer and it was very cool to encounter these people that I knew from my childhood or I, I knew from projects and be able to talk to them about things that they had done. And sometimes if they were low level celebrities, C-list, D-list, you know, character actors and such, they lit up when they met somebody who knew who they were and knew the films that they had done or the TV shows that they had done. If it was somebody that was a bigger deal, they got that all the time. They didn't appreciate it quite as much. And I do remember when Tom Hanks came that Ron, the owner, became a fanboy. He became super sycophantic about wanting to set up Tom Hanks's home theater for him. And Hanks said, well, you know, I, I actually have people that do that sort of thing for me, but thank you. And he's like, well, you know, I wouldn't charge you. It would just be, and you know, it, it made a lot of people lose respect for the boss, but it made me like him a little bit more because I could appreciate that. Somebody comes in and you've, you're a big fan. I, we never had anybody as big as Tom Hanks come in uh, during the time that I worked there. But that's the one that I use because, well, like I said, he was the biggest deal. He's still a big deal. And I was able to talk, and I've, I've mentioned this before, I was able to talk to Bernie Taupin about how his music had made me feel when I was lonely or when I was, I, I, I was sad. And I, I got to thank him and he appreciated that, or at least he was gracious about it. One of the customers that we would have from time to time was Warren Zevon. And I didn't really know who he was. Well, I definitely didn't know his face. And to me, he was just that Werewolves of London guy. I knew Werewolves of London because I am a horror film fanatic. And the werewolf had always been my favorite monster as a child. And my ears perked up the very first time I heard it. And you'd still hear it later, maybe not so much in the 80s, but in the 90s, you'd hear it around Halloween time. And as far as I knew, Warren Zevon had only had that one song. But he came in and when you're checking something out, you have to give your, your name. And when you're buying something, we were required to ask their telephone number. But a lot of times, if somebody was against that or a celebrity, they didn't want to give their telephone number. And we were told to say, well, it's for your account. All your transactions are on your, under your telephone number. If something breaks and you don't have your receipt, we can look it up there. And every once in a while, people would say no. But it was before the data mining stuff that would make people really skittish about stuff like that. And I don't know that it ever occurred to me to say, oh, I have so-and-so's number. The, uh, there was a time when Jennifer Tilly who had been T 
Tiffany in Bride of Chucky, which I, I loved, uh, came in and she gave me her number to call her when a special order came in. And I called her and she picked up and I talked to her on the phone and I felt like, wow, I called Jennifer Tilly. Uh, <laughs> I, I, maybe I should have left that part out. I, I don't know why I'm telling you this. I guess I'm just giving background. The man gave his name and it was Warren Zevon. And I was just like, okay, Warren Zevon, I know who that is. I didn't tell him that he, I knew him as the Werewolves of London guy, but I may have said, oh, Werewolves of London is a really fun song. And he says, oh, thank you. I didn't work at the video store for very long. I, I guess it's fair to say that I don't work anywhere for very long. That's a subject for another time, isn't it? Uh, but I, I, I talked to him twice in the time that I worked there. And in between the two times, I had watched The Late Show with David Letterman, and there was a week when Paul Schaefer was on vacation and Warren Zevon filled in as band leader. David Letterman was a huge Warren Zevon fan. He loved the guy and would have him come in a lot. So, you know, he was the, the substitute band leader, and I thought that, that was really neat. And that's what I talked to Warren about the second time he came in was, you know, I saw you on that and, and I thought that that was really neat and I asked him well you know how come you guys play a full song during the commercial break because the show's not live you could just stop as soon as they say and we're out and then start again you know you don't have to take two and a half minutes or what, however long it is and Warren said well it's to keep the audience involved keep the audience excited and then also it's for timing purposes because we consider that time during the commercial breaks as part of the show. So it lets us know how much time is left in the show, including the commercials. So if they have to drop a guest or they have to cut something short, uh, they'll know it. And I found that, that that was interesting and it was cool to talk to him. And that was it. That was my only interaction with the man I don't have any cool stories beyond that. Let's talk a tiny bit about who Warren Zevon was, aside from just the Werewolves of London guy. I hate to just look up the Wikipedia article. It reminds me of, you know, when you would give a speech, when you'd give a talk in class or wherever it is, a lot of people would say, the Webster's Dictionary defines compassion as and I, I think I remember my dad saying that everybody did that and to try and avoid doing that. But yeah, the Webster's Dictionary defines a hack as a sharp, sudden chop or cut with an axe or sharp object. Warren Zevon was born January 24th, 1947, an American rock singer, songwriter, and musician born in Chicago, Illinois, he uh, spent time as a session musician, a jingle composer, wrote songs for other artists, he released his first solo album in 1969, which was not successful. He hooked up with Jackson Brown in the 70s, who produced his second and third albums, both of which were successful. Uh, his most successful album, Excitable Boy, 1978, had... Uh, 
hit songs, Roland the Tom Headless Thompson Gunner, Lawyers, Guns, and Money, Excitable Boy, and Werewolves of London on it. He released several albums throughout the 80s uh, to less and less success. Often his songs were covered by other artists, and they were uh, more successful with them. He had several comebacks, dealt with drug and alcohol addiction for many years, and uh, would um, collaborate with other artists and uh, wrote music for television. In 2002, uh, he fell ill and was finally encouraged to see a doctor where he was diagnosed with terminal pleural mesothelioma a kind of lung cancer he was told that he would not survive and uh, he recorded his final album the wind uh, in which many of his friends in the music industry participated bruce springsteen don henley jackson brown joe walsh tom petty dwight yoakam uh, he did live to see the birth of his two grandsons in June 2003 and the release of the album August 26, 2003. He passed away September 7th, 2003, age 56, at his home in Los Angeles. He was 56 years old. Skip ahead to a late show with David Letterman. There was a show and... Warren Zevon was the guest. And I remember it being funny because the announcer said, you know, it's The Late Show with David Letterman, with Paul Schaefer and the CBS Orchestra. Tonight's guest, Warren Zevon. And that was it. They didn't say anything else. Because there would usually be like an A-list guest who was an actor or a celebrity. Then there'd be a musical guest. And then Sometimes there would be a third guest, which was a comedian or somebody, you know, who's, who's lower level. But this was just Warren Zevon. I found that strange. So Dave gives his monologue and then he brings out Warren Zevon. And he explains that Warren has always been a friend of the show since the NBC days. And they were having a special episode for him because Warren had been diagnosed with end-stage lung cancer and he was dying so David decided to bring him on the show as his sole guest and he spent the entire hour with Warren and he had him play his favorite song David's favorite song which was Roland the Headless Thompson Gunner which I had never heard before but had I heard it as a kid, it's another song I would have eaten up because, it, you know, you could play it at Halloween. It's about an undead, beheaded mercenary who uh, gets his revenge. Warren played this and then David had him back and he asked him, what is it that you've learned in this time here at the very end? And Warren said, I guess if I've learned anything, it's to enjoy every sandwich. And if I hadn't decided to already call this episode the Werewolves of London guy, 
I would call it Enjoy Every Sandwich. And in fact, after Warren died, there was a tribute album that was released of people doing covers of Warren's songs, and it was called Enjoy Every Sandwich. He got there at the end, and there was a moment that was really sweet between him and Dave, where you could tell that this is probably it. This is the end. Warren's doctors, I, I hope I mentioned this in the little Wikipedia part, Warren's doctors had said that he wasn't going to last very long, but he did manage to put out an album and he survived long enough for that album to come out and be well received. And part of it was the fact that people knew that he was dying. They paid more attention to it than they would a typical release. And a lot of times these posthumous releases are big deals but the artist isn't alive to, to know that. And in this case, Warren died a little while after the album was released. Now, I remember watching that David Letterman and being moved by it and also thinking, oh, I knew this guy. I met this guy. I talked to this guy twice. So I was lucky in that way. I felt like I had a personal connection to him, even though I only knew the one song. And... Time passed, and I lost a bunch more jobs, and I had to move back home with my tail between my legs, and I, I left Los Angeles and started becoming a podcaster, started doing audiobook narration, lost more jobs, and um, David Letterman eventually retired, went off the air. I remember just what a big deal that was to me. I tried to watch every episode that last week. And I didn't have a DVR, I think, or even cable television in that time. But it was on CBS, and, and so you could just watch it if you turned on the TV at, you know, 11, 30, 10, 30 Central Mountain. And Dave went off the air, and, and, and that meant a lot to me. There will never be a talk show host that spoke to me the way that Dave did. And part of it was when I grew up and just how much that NBC show, Late Night, meant to me. I don't feel like I made the best use of my youth. I was a very lazy person. I was super introverted. Uh, and I was totally content to just watch television for hours and hours and hours and hours. But I don't regret watching Late Night with David Letterman. That made me feel like I was part of an elite group. I don't even know why I'm talking about Dave Letterman. This is not about him. If he dies, then he'll get an episode. I, a few years ago, I started coming to the cabin, the family cabin, in the summer by myself. And I would bring my crap top, and I would use the time to write and to edit audio. And it became something that I really looked forward to. It became my place that I could go where it was just me and I could dedicate myself to being productive, to, to accomplishing something. And around the time that I first came up by myself, I had downloaded Roland the Headless Thompson Gunner by Warren Zevon. And I listened to it 
while I was packing up everything to go. And I found the song really delightful. And it became a tradition for me. When it was time to go, I would play Roland the Headless Thompson Gunner and I would pack everything up while it played. I did it la all last summer and I did it less this summer. There were a couple of times when I would just sing it or a couple of times this summer I would play another Warren Zevon song because in the last couple of years, mostly because of the experience I just told you, I have sought out his music and discovered that he had songs that really reached me, that really spoke to me, that really made me feel something. And about every fifth episode of the Rish Outcast, uh, I use Reconsider Me by Warren Zevon as my bumper music. I call it bumper music. I don't know what it's really called, but it's my intro and outro music. So Warren Zevon has sort of become the unofficial musician of my trips to the cabin. And that is fun. And, and that is part of why I wanted to do an episode about him because I had downloaded, let's say five or six songs, and I had put them into a playlist around June this year. And I would play that playlist while I was at the cabin. It started me thinking about the man and how much I've enjoyed these songs now he's been gone for more than 10 years and I was never able to tell him how much his songs meant to me because they didn't. He was just the Werewolves of London guy. But at least I was able to tell him I liked that song. And there was sort of a down-on-your-luck melancholy about Warren's music. I don't know if he suffered from depression because there would also be sort of a wry irony in his music. He had a, a big hit song called Poor Pitiful Me. And I feel like that's so on the nose, it's gotta be tongue in cheek. Although if you think about like the king of depressing music, Morrissey, if you think about like the Smith songs that are so depressing, that are so hopeless. There's still some humor there, too. There's still a bit of a wink sometimes. Even in these songs, that are that they seem solely released to express nihilism and the only happy ending that you might face in this world is death. So join me. So take my hand. <laughs> you know, baby, I'm your man. And so I don't know, I don't know if he struggled with feelings of loneliness or inadequacy or, you know, the things that I struggle with. I wonder if you listening to this also struggle with those things. I've talked to people, uh, one person in particular, that I think about all the time that are the antithesis of that, that our glass is not only half full, it's overflowing. What do you mean half empty? You're crazy. Everything is great. The world is great. Life is great. And I just don't see it that way. I don't experience it that way. I respond to a sad song much more often than I 
respond to a happy song, there are still happy songs that reach me, that make me excited. And yet a lot of times it's a reminder of what might have been or what could be or, oh, imagine if this song were actually applicable to my life, you know. Yet you hear the heartbreaking songs and those are so easily applicable to whatever is going on in your day to day. And so it's those songs that I have grown to love by Zivon in these past few years. The phone don't ring and the sun refused to shine. Never thought I'd have to pay so dearly for what was already mine. That, that's a song called Accidentally Like a Martyr. And it includes this line, the days fly by, shoulda done, shoulda done, we all sigh. Never thought I'd ever be so lonely after such a long, long time. Wow, that, that, that song, I remember the first time I heard those lyrics and I was just like, oh my gosh. I've really grown to appreciate the man's music and appreciate the man and wish I could have shaken his hand and told him thank you for, you know, this song and that song and this song and let him know. I don't know if younger people, I was young in those days, kids, if young people would appreciate him, would tell him that his music spoke to them. But I, I never did. And that is, it's sad, but it's great that I like him so much now. And I'm still discovering new songs that, that I'd never heard before. I, I, I will pick a, an album sometimes. Uh, and it's so easy on YouTube now. You can just type in the album of an artist and listen to the whole thing. Whereas, you know, you used to have to buy it. Or if you were lucky enough to live someplace where they had a used record store, you could go listen, but they had to have that and they had to have it available for you to listen to. Anyhow, he's become my, my official musician of going to the cabin. And I felt like I wanted to share a, an episode about him. And, and, and maybe I'll do a song here. Although, you know, I'm... I'm not a musician, and I think some would say that I'm barely a singer. And while that makes me sad to hear or to contemplate, it's not untrue, but I have heart. And when I release these uh, storage unit serenades that I do, I hope that the heart shows through. Even if I screw up the lyrics or even if I don't, I don't, have, I, I don't sing at a professional level. 2020 has been my year of the midlife crisis, of looking at my life and saying, I don't like this and I don't like that, of trying to exercise, of trying to write every single day, of blogging every single day, of longing for companionship. It's interesting, I, I, I've lost enough weight in my neck that when I sing in these videos, you can see like the cords stand out in my neck. 
and I look like Emperor Palpatine in Return of the Jedi. And I feel like, well, part of that is because I've lost weight. Uh, but it's also just getting older. You know, I can't pass for a 20-something anymore. And one of these days, it's, it's going to be over. I hope that I have made good use of my time. I hope I make better use of the second half of my life than I did the first half. I hope, like Warren Zevon, I learn to enjoy every sandwich. And I hope you got something out of this episode. If you didn't, I still appreciate you listening through to the end. If you're a fan of mine, wow, thank you. That's really great to know that there are people that are fans. I know there's not a lot out there, but there are some. And isn't that great? Just like with Zevon's last album, seeing it sell better than the albums before and seeing people talking about him, maybe hearing his music played on the radio again right there at the end, that had to feel good. It's good to know that you are appreciated. I appreciate you, and I wish you, uh, boy, I almost said wish you joy and happiness. But above all this, I wish you love. And, uh, okay, I'm not going to do that. This isn't a uh, Whitney Houston tribute episode. <laughs> One of the first cassettes that I ever got as a boy, when I was old enough to buy cassettes, was Whitney Houston's 1987 Whitney album. But that's not what we're here to talk about. <laughs> uh, thank you for listening. May you have a great rest of the year or new year or whenever I put this out. Go get yourself a sandwich. Savor it. Good night. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. This burlap sack filled with squirming madness was produced under a Creative Commons Attribution No Derivatives 3.0 license. That sounds crazy too, I realize, but it means that you may copy and download the file. Free of charge, but it does not belong to you. Hence, you cannot charge for it or alter it for your own perfidious purposes. And please consider going to www.patreon.com forward slash reshoutfield to support the show. If you appreciate any part of the madness, you can donate a dollar an episode and up to keep it going. Or you can tip him through PayPal via his blog. Thanks to Gino Moretto for his generous work on the logo. Good night. Having lived, mo having lived most of my life either on a ship or in a lunar dome, 
breathing like someone who just took off their enviro suit, breathing like someone who just took off their enviro suit that was running out of oxy. Yes, breathing like someone who just took off their enviro suit that was running out of oxy. Yes. Was that better than Mrs. Chandrasekhar? Chandra Chandrasekhar Chandra Chand Chand Chandrasekhar. Was that better than Mrs. Chandrasekhar? Was that better than Mrs. Chandrasekhar? Was that better than Mrs. Chandrasekhar being nosy? Was that better than Mrs. Chandrasekhar being nosy, listening in on her conversation? Sierra Mabley was a gorgeous auburn-haired girl who was born to be an actress. I'm misspelled born if you can believe it. Brielle got invited to leave Los Angeles and move up to Washington with Dad and Dina. No. Yeah, Seattle is in Washington. I promise you. You say so. I say so. It's so weird that in my head Seattle is in Oregon. I don't know why. New Year, a Merry Christmas, and we'll see you in 2021. Unless you're a patron, you, you'll you see us again. <laughs> I hope so. Uh, and Onan knew that the seed would not be his. So it came to pass <laughs> that when he went in unto his brother's wife, that he spilled it on the ground, lest he should give seed to his brother. Okay. Should I not include that? I don't know. This is a Christmas episode. That might be offensive to people to throw that in in the Christmas episode. I didn't write it. I'll cut that out. That was just for you, <laughs> Damien. Say hi to Damien. <laughs>